All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. In our 34th year of business with offices in San Antonio at Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 719 points, or 2.1%. The S&P 500 was up about 31 points, or 7 tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 81 points, or 6 tenths of 1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 6.3%. The S&P 500 is up 18.1% year to date. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 34.1%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So I think I'm going to dub this past week on Wall Street as the week of the rotation. And what I mean by that, Joe, you're already you're not even going to let me finish the thought, Joe. You're just hopping in. You take a week off, and here you go, dominate. Go I've ahead. I've got so much to say. Go ahead. You can label it, and I'll have my label. And we'll okay. So – calling it the week this past week being the week of the rotation and this is conversations that we've had on past money wise programs of how narrowly concentrated the market has been in the magnificent seven primarily tech stocks that have driven such a huge amount of the total return of the S&P 500 so far year to date well in this past week what did we see we saw the healthcare sector being the leading uh sector for the market this past week. We've seen industrials really starting to make a comeback. We've seen small caps over the last handful of weeks, you know, starting to really come to life. And then we've seen technology kind of take a little bit more of a backseat. So that widening breadth of the market is something that we've been talking about, what we've been needing to see. And this continuing widening of market participation can be the continued fuel to push this market higher through the end of the year. Well, what were two of the seven stocks that reported earnings this week out of the magnificent, two of the seven magnificent seven stocks that reported earnings this week? One of them was Netflix, which was, which was negatively received. And the other one was Tesla, which was also negatively received. So I think some of that rotation was being driven by two of those magnificent seven stocks having earnings reports that uh, underwhelmed investors. 
Well, as, as far as Netflix, they definitely had more subscribers, 5.9 million subscribers, which was above estimates. But I think what the biggest issue with Netflix has been is the transition away from a single account being able to have multiple users on it. I think Netflix came out and admitted that it's taking them a lot longer to clean house meaning someone who has one Netflix account and having 15 people in their family using it. So it's taking them more time to police it and getting getting to this new system where it's kind of one account per person type situation. But their their increased subscriber base was definitely above estimates. But it has had a very nice run so far this year. And so when you have stocks that have these very big runs, you're going to see some profit-taking. So I wouldn't say their earnings report was devastatingly negative. I didn't say um, it was devastatingly no, negative. No, I know. I, I, I know. it wasn't well received. See, Joe, it wasn't. I didn't say that. You I didn't say you said now. that. I did not say that Jeff said it was devastatingly bad. And here's the other thing about Tesla. You know, Tesla was all about their margins. Well, we all know that, that Elon Musk has lowered the prices of the Y and the Model 3 a couple of times this year forcing EV manufacturers like Ford to reduce prices on their Lightning. Now, can you imagine being a Lightning uh, owner and finding out that your vehicle, just from the reduction of cost of about $10,000 that I believe occurred this past week, if not the previous week, it's now worth less even buying it brand new. I'm, I'm curious if they're going to be giving those early adopters any kind of a rebate for the lowering of the price, and they're trying to keep up with Tesla, but I know the big conversation this past week about Tesla and them kind of sacrificing some of their margin for these lower-priced EVs is apparently they're moving to some revolutionary uh, manufacturing process that I know David Faber, who had a long interview with Elon Musk about a month and a half, two months ago, it's going to be in their Austin Gigafactory, and the way that it's being described is a revolution in line manufacturing. I don't know if y'all have heard about this. I've also heard that they're developing a new battery that's going to be made in their Monterey, Mexico factory that's going to dramatically extend the range of the EVs for Tesla, which helps eliminate some of that range anxiety. And so I think what Elon is doing is he's sacrificing some of the margin now for much greater gains in the future. And all these other EV manufacturers, they're going to be continuing to play catch-up to Tesla. That may have been the greatest promotion of a stock we don't own in the history of, 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 of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I've got to give – yeah, that's going to be the next act that shows up in the portfolio next week, right, Tesla? No, but I, I think I think it's important for all of our listeners because I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that probably own Tesla or have thought about owning Tesla. And so this we're reporting some information from kind of the – pulling the curtain back of what portfolio managers look at and analyze. And so this is some of the data that's come out of the earnings call. So just for full disclosure, I'm sure a number of our ETFs that we own Tesla is, is is actually part of it. We do not own Tesla common stock by itself in in any of our portfolios, nor have we ever owned Tesla mm-hmm. stock in any of our portfolios. We I don't even think we've even I don't think we've owned Netflix in uh, any of our yes. portfolios. We Netflix. we have way back in the day, back the back day when Dad yeah. we, we back had when Dad was still at the helm. We had the original Fang at one time, right? 
Yes, I believe. Oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, we did have the original Fang because we bought we bought Facebook on its IPO. Yeah. When it IPO'd back in the day on the Nasdaq, that so that, that's a whole other story for a whole other show. Yeah. No with longer, that debacle, we no longer own it. No long. Well, it's also no longer no, own as Facebook. It's Meta platform. Meta. Yeah, it's Meta now. So. But yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, moving parts this past week, and I know we've already used up this first segment, so we're going to have to continue to recap the happenings of Wall Street when we come back from break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week, the last segment we were talking about just kind of seeing some of the rotation in the market where, you know, the NASDAQ was down six-tenths of 1% last week, but the Dow which, again, is just 30 individual stocks, was up 2.1%. Now, the one thing that the Dow has, of course, is some banking stocks, and we've gotten through pretty much the meat and potatoes of the bank earnings um, this past week. It actually kicked off two Fridays ago, and so far, you know, so good as far as on the bank earnings are concerned. I know American Express also came out with a very good earnings report and showing that the consumer is very strong. Very, very stout as far as their spending is concerned. And that came from American Express this past week. And so we saw the Dow catch a bid or started to get bought. But we've also seen some rotation of buying coming in to large cap value. So our large cap value positions had a really good week. We saw the healthcare names. In fact, some of the healthcare names were up, you know, high four, five percent on Friday alone. Some of the names that we own. Um, and so, you know, we also had earnings from United Health. You know, United Healthcare came out. It had a big, nice, big run-up. And of course, Schwab, uh, financial. I mean, I, it's not a bank. I mean, they have a banking sector, but Schwab, of course, being the biggest discount broker in the world, had a huge, huge gap up on its earnings report this past week, up you know north of twelve percent in one day. But. I can tell you for what we did in the portfolio, because we are long-term owners of United Health and Schwab, we took the next step up in our allocation adjustments and brought them both up to a 1% allocation this past week, bringing our moderate individual stock and bond portfolios to pretty much a 50-50 allocation. And along with that, if you look at our the ETF that we typically use, our dividend-paying ETF, it had a pretty good run this 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 last week, also. So it has. We've seen rotation. Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're seeing money rotate out of some of these magnificent seven, and really starting to get a wider breadth of the market, which is what we want to see. We want to see less concentration in just these seven names, because as we've been talking about all year as this market has continued to move higher and really exceeding our expectations from our 
beginning of year uh, performance expectations for the markets. And I know I was the most bullish, and it's already exceeded mine, which was a little bit north of 16%. And with the S&P up 18.1% through Friday's close, you know, we're needing to see that uh, that diversification of buying. Now, I can tell you from a volume standpoint, volumes are still consistently running below average. So that's telling us some long-term money managers are still very much in higher allocations to cash or fixed income. Individual investors just continue, you know, continued inflows of higher yielding money market accounts. And eventually, as time goes on and the Fed gets done raising interest rates and we see inflation continue to move down, all those, all those dollars sitting in position traded money market accounts or higher yielding fixed income accounts, I think will start to eventually creep in and find their way into the market on the stock side. Jeff, you had a funny cock to your head when I said that. Jeff, are you winding up? Are, are, is, is your pitch winding up? Are you winding up? Well, all I can say is we had the 15th in a row negative leading economic indicator on Thursday. 15 in a row. I haven't been able to find out how many times that's happened. I'll work on that and see how many times in the – in the in the market history, we've had fifteen in a row. I'd like uh, to see that. And, and the last time it's been now fifteen in a row, and the, and the S and P is up eighteen percent for the year. Probably never happened. It's probably never happened. I'd be surprised if it has. But you know, talking about and we talked about this on last weekend's show when it was just Jeff and I, and he brought up an article that he read. Um, and I think it was it was uh, Milton Freeman that was talking about how some of these negative economic indicators that they're very good predictors of pending recessions, but that there could be a longer lag time before that recession hits. And so this past week, I came across a chart that I sent both Jeff to you and Joe. And it was very interesting because the gist of the chart was, okay, in past history, when the Fed has been raising interest rates, what has been the historic kind of lag times after the Fed gets done raising interest rates until a recession hits. And this chart showed that looking at some interest rate uh, increasing campaigns going back to the 60s and the 50s, that there could be a lag as far out into 2028 before we saw a recession. Now, how you could correlate the Fed, let's say, ending interest rate increases in 2023 that we have to wait till 2028 to a recession. How could they correlate those two together with that huge lag time? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Yeah, I don't, no, that doesn't make sense to me either. The I, fact that they would I, put I, out a chart. I'll go back to something that we've all said, and Joe just said it again a, month, a minute ago, quoting how much the S&P 500 is up this year. And we we talk about it at the beginning of every show. And this this week's this, the S&P 500 is up 18% without dividends. But it really isn't. Because if you take out the Magnificent Seven, we're up less than 5% for the year. So seven stocks have added 13 plus percentage points of performance to the S&P 500. Now, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the, the, the statements that everyone is receiving that has all these stocks in them, you're getting credit for we're, just like us. We're getting credit. Our clients are getting credit for owning these stocks, but things are just so skewed right now. 
And there's really what's driving this market to me is more momentum than the fundamentals. Because the fundamentals, those statistics that I talked about last weekend, in totality, uh, are, are dearly bet the house type statistics that there's going to be a recession. The question is, and, the, and what keeps changing with market sentiment, and it'll change week to week, month to month, sometimes day to day, is the consensus right now is, is that the recession is not going to be that bad. It's not going to be deep. It's not going to be an 08, 09 type recession. It's going to be something like uh, March of 2020. COVID. Flash in the pan. Flash in the pan. I don't even want to talk about that. Let's not talk about that. It's going to be a flash, and it's going to be over. That's a lot of lack of sleep back then, Jeff. I'm having nightmares and PTSD. Let's not talk about futures going down a thousand points I'm just saying how fast the recession that, that, that happened was. Now, what's not going to happen this time is I'm not necessarily convinced that as soon as the the recession once the recession begins, we won't know by the time we know that it actually begun, it's probably over. But I don't have I don't have a lot of confidence that the Federal Reserve is going to be in there cutting interest rates uh lockstep with, with the recession. My my guess is that, is that there will be a lot of hand wringing and a lot of pounding of the table about the Fed not cutting interest rates fast and fast enough, which will which in my opinion will will either, will may exacerbate uh, what but what may have what may turn out to be a soft landing into a more moderate landing when it comes to uh, uh, a, a potential recession, which at this point the consensus view says it's not going to happen until 2024. Yeah. Well, and and I think the other reason why we we are constantly having this conversation on this program is because I think with how the S, if you just look at the performance of the S and P, you're like, wow, we're having a bang up year. It's creating a false sense of security yeah. for a lot of home gamers, for a lot of mom and pop investors that maybe you know are not really diving deep into all the economic data points like we do as professional money managers or have really access to this radio show to listen to it or not a subscriber of our podcast, it creates a false sense of security. That's why we always bring up what the equally weighted S&P 500 is doing. And like you just did, Jeff, where you strip out these magnificent seven and the S&P is up less than 6% year to date. And it creates that false sense of security. So then you have these investors who got terrified last year, whose portfolios got absolutely decimated because they was not actively managed, didn't have the right asset allocation. And now they're saying, I've got to recover. Well, these stocks are doing a bang-up job, these seven, so I'm going to go whole hog in these seven. I'm going to ride this wave until that wave could potentially come crashing down on your head. And so that's why we're talking about it. it this is – this could lead up to a potential cautionary tale. Don't have a false sense of security. You have to be actively managed. You have to have proper asset allocation and diversification. You can't have more than 5% of your investable net worth in any one individual stock. And like you said, Jeff, these types of stocks and what has happened so far this year has created that FOMO and that momentum that we're still feeling to this day. But then this past week, we started to see these underperforming asset classes finally starting to catch a bid. 
Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, in the last segment we were talking about you know, the, 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 the potential to have a false sense of security with how well – the S&P 500 has done so far this year. Of course, the NASDAQ. You know, I don't know if you all heard before we go on to the next subject. They were talking about this on Friday that the NASDAQ is going to be doing kind of a forced rebalancing. They've been They're, talking about it for days, yeah. And so and so, for any of our listeners that didn't catch it, you know, they've a lot of these Magnificent Seven tech stocks have become a larger and larger weighting inside the NASDAQ index. And, I mean, and this is the same conversation any investor, you know, as Joe's always said, know what you own. When you go and look at your portfolio and you find out that some of your individual securities, your individual stocks have become a bigger and bigger percentage of your assets in your portfolio because of their growth. And so the NASDAQ as an index was seeing this issue with some of these Magnificent Seven. And so on Monday – the NASDAQ is going to be opened, is going to open up with this new adjusted rebalanced asset allocation model where these magnificent seven are not going to be such a large percentage of the overall index, which of course can affect its performance moving forward, having a smaller percentage share in these individual names. I think but, they were. I think there was all the talking heads. Were, they'd actually had people sit down and figure out how many billions of dollars were going to was going to come out mm-hmm. of, of these particular stocks, which I found that, like somewhat laughable. You say, I, well, I don't remember the exact statistic. Let's say it's like three or four billion billion with a B dollars that is going to come out of Apple with this rebalance. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think Apple's worth uh, $3 trillion. If, if Isn't I'm that – I'm not mistaken. A trillion is $1,000 billion, so $3 billion is nothing. I want to say something. Okay, Apple by itself – this, this I wrote in the market comments I just sent out to the clients for the second quarter. Apple by itself at one time had a market cap capitalization that exceeded – the entire cumulative market of capitalization of the entire Russell 2000 index. That's 2000 companies, folks. Amazing. So, <laughs> you know, a few billion dollars coming out of it. I don't think we should be, we should be very, wor- very worried about it. No. And so this leads to the next, the, yeah, Joe, before we go to the next. Well, I, I wanted topic. to say something because it, it seems like if you watch, all the talking heads, the Magnificent Seven. This time last year, what would you call the Magnificent Seven? Jeff, let's uh, take a shot. What would you call it? Halfway. This is why you have to have a balanced approach. This is why we're going to go into this next 
this conversation. The Magnificent about. Seven, what would the Magnificent Seven securities been last year? What would it be called been... last year? This time last year. Oh, I have no idea what it would be called. <laughs> last year. What is it? You, the... I can tell you what the Magnificent Seven in the portfolio would have been last year, and the first six would have been cash, and number seven would have been uh, short bonds. That would have been the Magnificent yeah. Seven I mean, securities it, in the portfolio exactly. last year. It changes every year. I mean, you we, just... We, you know, it's been yeah, a long Joe, time. it'd be the malignant seven. It'd have been the malignant that's, seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here, okay. Exactly. Yeah. I, mean, I thought it would have been in 2022. But, but, but again, that leads us to this next conversation about, you know, again, that false sense of security. I mean, as our clients that listen to our program know, is that we have been moving very methodically very slowly increasing our equity allocation. For all the economic indicators that Jeff and I, that we always talk about on this program and how negative they've been, you know, 15 months of negative leaking economic indicators. And we've all said on this program, we all anticipate that we're going to have a recession. We feel that it's going to be mild, a mild recession. But I would say now our projections, it's being pushed into 2024 at the earliest. But this is the key of maintaining a balanced approach in your portfolio. You know, yes, last year, a 60-40 portfolio, you were down 20% and a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% fixed income. If it was just in a static, set it and forget it, passive investment strategy, which most of the major brokerage firms in this world have been following to a T for many, many years now. Decades. Decades, but in this day and age, now that we finally have access to interest rates that we have not had access to and going back 15 years, a 60-40 portfolio is very much alive. It is very, and Jeff, we were talking about this earlier. I loved your word. It's thriving. It is thriving. It's a portfolio that can thrive. And just, and, for, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead. I was going to say, just for, for full disclosure, we are not 60% stocks right now in a modern asset allocation portfolio. The 60-40 is really meant to describe a historic, diversified, a diversified portfolio of stocks yeah. and bonds. 60-40 may not be for everybody. We don't, our modern asset allocation portfolio, we consider now 60-40, the 60% in stock sides to be the maximum asset allocation to stocks. And we are not at maximum mass allocation of stocks in our portfolio. Two years but, ago, it was different. Two years, two years ago, ago, it was 70%. It, it, was, it was different for a number of years. But I've been, you know, there's what happened last year um, in a 60 40 portfolio. The reason it, did, it worked so badly wasn't necessarily just about the stock side. It was more about the historic declines in bonds. And even, you have to keep your eyes on, on both balls. For, for most of our careers, the focus has always been really on the stock side and managing stocks. And, and most, most money managers don't pay attention to bonds like we do, like we have our entire careers. But bonds are the foundation of all portfolios. That's that's when we talk with clients, they're the foundation on which the rest of the portfolio is built. So like a house, if the foundation is weak, it doesn't matter what you put above it. It doesn't matter 
how fancy the finishes are inside the house. It doesn't matter how fancy the stocks are in your portfolio. If your foundation is poor, the house isn't going to stand up to the test of time. Because when the storm hits, when the storm hits what's above the foundation, that foundation is still holding strong. That's the key. So in the last two years, uh, things have changed dramatically for bonds. I mean, they they were whipping boys last year, no doubt. Terrible You're being too kind. Us. You're being kind just saying they're whipping boys. They've been whipping boys. last year. Bloomberg now 13%. Double, double, yeah, double, double like digits. Hey, one quick take. Year to date, I'm looking at the as of yesterday, the Bloomberg U.S. aggregate is only up 2.24%. But the yields on a lot of the bonds have done, are, are picked up. But anyways, I just well total yield to maturity. That well, remember that's still. only for a half a year. Yeah, little over a half year. So it's not. So you're you're still if you annualize that out, you're talking about a five percent year yeah. in bonds, yeah. uh, which is which right. is a far cry where where it was last year. The the thing about what, what's happening in the fixed income markets right now is you're getting so much just to be in a high-yield money market fund um, versus, you know, if you go out and you, you buy some bonds, you're going to take a little bit less income. Say you go out two years, three years, five years, ten years, you're going to be taking less and less income or less and less yield, pardon me, the further out you go on the yield curve versus what you're getting on the, you know, shortest-term instruments right now, which is a new, that's just because of this inverted yield curve situation, another indication uh, of a potential for a recession down the road. Right now, the market's feelings are the the Magnificent Seven are alive and well. Yeah, they didn't have a particularly great week in two stocks, but we got Apple coming. We got Microsoft earnings coming. We got the rest. You know, I think all the rest of them are going to be reporting, with I think the exception of NVIDIA. I think NVIDIA, NVIDIA is later. Next yeah. month. Uh, I think the others are report here before the end of the month. So you, that that trade. That investment, you know, there hasn't been mass, you know, a mass sell of that particular uh, investment strategy this year. But it's nice to see it broadening out to a few more industry groups. Uh, I just wonder if the hype, the, what the earnings from the remainder of the Magnificent Seven are, ne- are going to necessarily live up to the hype. And I think I said this last weekend. And if they don't live up to the hype, then there's 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 going to be a correction in those stocks. And maybe the 18 that we're up right now in the S&P 500, maybe it's 12% a month from now. Still a great year, uh, but the, the froth may need to come off. Now, when the froth comes off, does it rotate into other stocks or does it or does it go into bonds or does it go into cash? Do we see the, do we see the the Dow, which had a. You know, a really great week compared to the other indices. You know, more than double, triple the performance of their indices. Does the Dow catch up to the S and P and the Nasdaq as some of this froth comes off, potentially with some earnings news here in the next few weeks? Well, well and before we go to break, talking about the Dow, the Dow has had a ten-day run that it has not seen yep. since 2017. So it has been years that the Dow has had the kind of run that it's had to the upside over the past two trading weeks. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, last segment talking about the 60-40 portfolio is definitely not dead. In fact, is absolutely thriving with these higher interest rates we're able to capture, and all investors are able to capture on the fixed income side of their portfolio. And so, you know, we were just covering that. But it, it always comes back, like we've been preaching on this program going back to 2005. You have to have the portfolio actively managed. You can't set it and forget it. You can't just set a 60-40 portfolio and walk away and call it a day and never take a look at it. Because if you did that in 2022, you're down almost 20% in your portfolio. In fact, it was the worst combined stock and bond markets in 1792. So needless to say, all of our listeners, this was a once in a, you know, hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime event as far as the underperformance of both the stock and bond market combined. Because, you know, it's interesting, Joe. Last year, there was points in time where the bond market was actually performing worse than that of the stock market. You know, you don't see that too often. You know, even during the financial crisis in 08, 09, you know, the bond market did not come anywhere close to us performing as poorly as it did. We were, and so, we were up in, in 08. We, we were, were up in 08. We were up 3 4%, if my memory serves me correctly, in, uh, in our bond portfolios. But our yeah, bond, bond portfolios were also positive in 2022 for us as well. They were right. slightly positive last year. They, yes. they were they were positive because we were we were expecting higher interest rates and we owned an instrument that profited when interest rates went higher. We were basically short bonds. You're and essentially saying we were active with our management. We were very well we 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 had we had, <laughs> we had, we had, what we're talking well, about. we had been preparing for higher interest rates before that. Remember at the beginning of 2022 we actually went in and sold we unload duration. Two or, two or three years worth of uh, bonds. We got. We I think we eliminated 2024, 2025 maturities. We went out, as you said, Joe, and and lowered our duration in the portfolio. So you you had to be active on the stock, active on the bond side, and that's where the majority, the the, the vast majority of the financial services industry isn't active on either side, but. You could go 90% plus is definitely not active on the bond side. I've seen plenty of organizations that uh, that own individual stocks and they're actively managing stock portfolios, but they don't do diddly squat on the bond side at all. And you can lose and see this is the other thing, though, for it seems I've, you know, I, I think there's this, this, Miss, I don't want to say, I hate to use the word misinformation, but I think sometimes fixed income investors think that they can't lose money in bonds. You absolutely can lose money in bonds. You absolutely can. So don't have the mindset, oh, well, I've got my foundation. I've got fixed income. Just like the Money Wise guy said, I can't lose money in fixed income. That's not true. That's why it still has to be actively managed regardless. 
You know, that's just the nature of investing, period. You can never set anything and forget it. You're right. And I wanted to point one thing out about the bond portfolio, especially the asset builders that we have, where we're buying actually treasuries. We're going out two years, and actually, you know, with 100% certainty, you're going to get your money back, and you're going to get yield. You're going to and, and you're going to get interest payments. And you have to maturity. maturity. You're not going to see, and Kyle, and I, we've seen this on a lot of smaller accounts from competitors, they're not actively managing a bond portfolio, especially they're not actively managing it by buying individual issues. You just don't see it. I can't remember the last time I've seen it on, on accounts that are, you know, four to 500,000. It just doesn't exist. So no, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and that's the unfortunate part of the financial service industry that are really looking and wanting to cater to the ultra wealthy and the ultra high net worth. And as we have found in our 34 year career, the investor that has between 2 million and a half a million dollars is very much unloved and uncared for in our opinion by the financial service industry. It's, yeah, especially the full service management, which is there's not a lot of organizations that are still really in the full service management business. There's and doing of, it in house, and doing it in house, doing it in house. Yeah, gathering and farming out the money management. It's simple. Yeah. That's there's yeah. a simple process to. That's what they do. So, well, and 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 I had a I had a lengthy conversation with a prospective uh, prospective client out of state, and he asked me that question. Do y'all manage the assets in-house? That's the second time I've had that question in my 25-year career of an investor asking if we make the investment decisions in-house. And that is a fantastic question to any of our listeners that's working with any other advisors. That would be a great question for you to ask if you're sitting down with your advisor and you ask them, are you making the investment decisions? Are you making the trade? Are you making the allocation decisions? And I think a lot of our listeners would be shocked to hear what the answer is. And ask them if, the, if, if they have a team approach and do they have spirited debates on which stocks they want to buy and which bonds they want to buy. Never. <laughs> we, we never have that ever, ever. It never happens. Oh, spirited yeah. debates? That, that's like on a daily basis. But I mean, but that's but that's what it takes when you're managing a portfolio and and kind of more of a democracy. You know, where it takes votes. You, we all have our differing opinions. We all have our decades of experience, and you know that's what it takes to actively manage assets. You know, and some of our listeners are like, oh, my gosh, it just seems so overwhelming. Well, that's why you have to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis to get that second opinion. You know, you need to get a second opinion from actual money managers to see if you think, you're, you know, to, to confirm your thoughts of whether your portfolio is really where it needs to be. If it's handling your risk tolerance, if it's if it's allocated appropriately for your risk capacity. Yeah, so Dad. Dad would be so proud that we waited to the last 45 seconds of this first hour of this week's show <laughs> to talk about the Fed, who will be coming out next week and raising interest rates another quarter quarter percent, most likely. But, you know, what's the outlook going to be for future interest rate increases? That's going to be the big what's, – what's going to be said in the – uh, press conference. Is this going to be a hawkish raise or is it going to be a dovish raise? We'll, well see. We'll see. And we also have the PCE. You know, yeah. we do we, we do have the personal consumption expenditure, which used to be the classic gauge that the Federal Reserve used to making uh, 
in determining the interest rate policy. Plus, we also have pretty juicy earnings week this next yep. week. It's not the full-blown meat and potatoes, but we're getting close. So there's going to be a lot of interesting earning reports that come out next week. And, of course, we'll be back on next weekend's MoneyWise program to recap all the happenings. So with that, we're going to take our commercial break. We'll go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. You MoneyWise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and and really more importantly and more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis. And this is what can happen to your assets as you go 
through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle. And have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their, number. Their, 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 and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just – that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion – the way we viewed this, this, the 4% rule, as, as you talked about, Kyle, being used by our competitors in, on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at it as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way they can charge higher fees, 
sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with. With a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling well you can only withdraw two percent a year, that's twenty thousand dollars. Well think about this. I mean if you put it in the government bonds, ten year bonds right now Exactly. You don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. Exactly. So you don't. You don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're. Tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%, and some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets, and outside accounts because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend 
to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time, as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, where you know we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity, and I hate to even use the word annuity, but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend at Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account. And then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out. You get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at, our, at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9, 10, 11% of your investable net worth well, by, well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs. And those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, you know, doing it that way? 
Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal, and it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals, it can force sales that you don't want to make. And it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're, you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating at no, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that, is this new endeavor 
going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time. If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 Zero zero seven zero, or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap dot com. So, continuing our education of about retirement spending, and and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled "The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend." We've only got into a little bit of the article because. We deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement, wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's, it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And, and the thing that, that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. 
But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's 3.5%. No, don't pay cash for it. Because just utilizing our, our asset builder, our moderate allocation, our asset builder, our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is 7%. So I use 7% as the rule of thumb. If the interest rate is below 7%, you finance it. If the interest rate is above 7%, okay, we can discuss paying cash for it. Because, it, again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again to right. pay for those income taxes? So, Your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4%. On twenty thousand dollars, you know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my mem- if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay. Pulling that money out. So you're giving up $800 a year in additional income, compounded, and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out eight, nine, ten percent a year 
out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't, if you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds, or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension, and that's it. Because once you lock yourself into taking that pension payment, you're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money 
for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two, typically, once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate. And it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less. And they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is, and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement, and I was talking about taking pension payments, and we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension, or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is, it's, been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. 
So if you were receiving a four or five thousand dollar monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, yeah, you just sliced you just sliced your regardless pension payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows: some horror stories concerning these pension payouts. And I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years. And one day, a pension recipient goes to the mailbox, receives a letter stating, oh, we've overpaid you over the last 10 years, $150,000. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare. But it happens. One thing that struck me was was this. um, That was on page two of the... And come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I, I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah, that's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, <laughs> you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm, you know, I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But that's is, fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed. This is fear. This is the 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. 
instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in, in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, accepting a lower salary for, in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, the, what it's, it's just never – this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401Ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two, and with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week.